0: Welcome to the causey Consulting Podcast. You can find us online anytime at CorsiConsultingLLC.com. And now, here's your host, Sarah Corsi. Hello, hello, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I want to talk about two types of clients that are actually two sides of the same coin. The outcome, more or less, for you will be the same, which is a giant freaking headache. The first type is Teddy, the tailgate negotiator. Teddy is the type who appears to ask all of his questions at the beginning. Everything is settled. A scope of work has been signed. A fee agreement has been signed. Everything's been laid out with clarity. There's no question marks lingering in the background. Everyone involved has a clear sense of how things are going to go and what the deliverable is going to look like. (laughs) But at some point... Teddy will decide that he doesn't actually want to follow whatever rules of engagement were set out, and he's not really going to own up to whatever agreement it is he signed. So in third-party staffing, for example, this could manifest as, I know that we signed a fee agreement with you at 28%. We really like John Doe. I mean, he is the candidate for us. There's no doubt about it. We just have fallen in love with him. But we're having some heartburn about the fee agreement. Uh, We just looked in the budget, and I know we signed it at 28, but we just can't do it. We're not going to be able to hire John and pay 28% to you for his salary. So is there any way that you could go ahead and just come down to 20? I mean, all the other fee agreements that we have with other agencies in town are for 20 anyway. We know we've got that in the budget, and we really want to hire John. But we're not going to be able to unless you come down on that fee agreement. So, I mean, don't you want John Doe to have this job? Talk about being caught between a rock and a hard spot. I mean, they're essentially what they're doing in that situation is they're portraying you as the villain. Don't you want, and guilt your beam, don't you want John to have this? I mean, we'll have to walk away from our dream candidate if you don't agree to take a pay cut. Come on. To me, that is really dirty pool if you have signed an agreement at a particular percentage for a certain amount of commission money then you don't wait until you can put the recruiter in a terrible situation place a guilt trip on them and then essentially say yeah i know i agreed to do this but (laughs) no never mind In a creative field, it can also manifest as someone who wants to negotiate for additional revisions. So perhaps you've said, hey, I'm going to put together this written proposal for you. You get one revision, but then Teddy, the tailgate negotiator, decides, no, I'm not going to pay the bill. I'm going to withhold my money or I'm going to withhold approving the project through a platform like Fiverr, for example, until you give me unlimited revisions. I know that I agreed to one, but that's just not going to cut it. In project-based work, it could be, okay, I know that at the beginning, the scope of work involved five clear-cut KPIs that we were going to utilize. But now that everything's in place, we really want 10. Now, we're not going to pay you any extra money for doubling your workload. We just expect you to go ahead and saddle up and do this, even though it's reneging on what we actually agreed on at the beginning. I can't emphasize to you enough If you have an experience with Teddy, the tailgate negotiator, that is somebody to cross off the list. If you have to sort of buck up and deal with whatever's going on just to get through the project, I get it. I think anybody that does freelancing or anybody that's ever worked on a commission-only basis has had to deal with somebody like Teddy. And... Again, sometimes we have to just buck up and get through the process because some folks are just hyper litigious. There's all the time looking for a reason to go call a lawyer and cry about how bad they've had it. But I think most people are like, I just want to get through this. I want to go ahead and survive this experience and then never work with Teddy again. If you get any signs or signals from that person during the intake process that tells you they're going to tailgate negotiate, they're going to try to manipulate, they're almost too agreeable on certain things. You just want to have your antennae up. Dealing with somebody like Teddy is a situation where an ounce of prevention is worth about 10 pounds of cure. It's better to not allow somebody like that into your practice in the first place than it is to have to try to deal with them and satisfy them and ugh, have the big headache. You know, another way that this can manifest in contract or project-based work is the person may say, all right, I'm going to set out the scope of work. I want you to work for 20 hours this week and let's see how it goes. But then you make it to about the 10 hour mark. So you're halfway through and then the person says, ah, JK, just kidding. I don't really need this anymore. In my mind, that's also dirty pool because that freelancer, that business owner was counting on that 20 hours to be able to calculate accurate cash flow for that week. They may have also turned down other assignments in order to hold that amount of time open for you. So while you're taking it as a joke and you think it's, it's no big deal to cut them off at the knees, I think it's dirty pool. And I would also categorize that type of person as being Teddy the tailgate negotiator. Oh, hey, hey there, old buddy, old pal. I know we said we were going to do it this way, but not really. Mm, not cool. Now, the other side of this undesirable coin, I will call Ned the needy. You may remember in some previous episodes I talked about a manager who once described certain candidates or certain clients as being high thought need. They're going to need to have hundreds of thousands of questions answered before they can do something. They can't process things and really move ahead until they feel like every even hint or inkling of an idea has been answered to their satisfaction. The the concepts of things like spontaneity, it just doesn't exist for people like that. And I would look at him and say, I think we could just be a little bit more blunt. What you're calling a high thought need person might just be someone who's anal retentive. And I stand by that. I am definitely not going to go down the rabbit hole of Freudian psychoanalysis. We, we would be here for years if we wanted to do that. But one definition of anal retentiveness is a person who pays such attention to detail that it becomes an obsession and maybe an annoyance to others. Another definition is a person who is excessively orderly and fussy. I would put a lot of micromanagers into this category. Some of them are micromanaging because they have OCD or some some anxiety. They're scared that if they don't micromanage, All the wheels are going to go flying off the wagon and it's going to be a disaster and then they're going to have to answer for it and they're going to have to clean up the mess. So they think that by micromanaging you and attempting to control every single thing that you do and monitor every minute of every day that you spend on their project, maybe they can guide everything to a successful conclusion and there won't be any problems. Other people are just all about control. You know, I also had a manager who said, Some people care more about control than they do about money. And that is the God's honest truth. You will encounter some people in the business world who, if given the choice between taking on something that's very lucrative and doing what's financially in their best interest, or in micromanaging somebody being very controlling and domineering, they would rather be controlling and domineering than make the money. They would rather have their boot on the back of your neck If that's not the kind of person that you want to work with, then you want to be very careful about allowing somebody like Ned the needy to get into your practice. Unfortunately, with somebody like Teddy the tailgate negotiator, we don't always know that we have somebody that's going to pull a stunt like that until it's too late. One good thing about Ned is that we can troubleshoot if that person is going to be overly needy and clingy and wants to be overly involved in everything at the front end. This is another reason why it is so important not to get happy ears when you're on a sales call. Don't filter in all the things that you like and then selectively filter out signs of trouble. If you get the vibe like, oh, I think this person might be unpleasable, or I think this person is going to want to know every moment of every day. They're going to want a status update on an hourly basis, and I don't freaking have time for that. You pay attention to those things. I had an experience recently with someone who I believe had the, all, all the potential to be Ned the needy. I'm going to be necessarily vague for obvious reasons. I, and I'll just call him Ned. Instead of having to use John Doe, I'll just call him Ned. So I had received an email from Ned, and when I got on the phone to have an intake call with him, I always ask, well, how did you find me? If it's not somebody where it's, you know there's a clear pathway of how they got from wherever they were to me, I always ask. And that's something that I want to encourage you guys to do. It's great to know for marketing purposes what's working well and what isn't. And you can use the Pareto principle there. What 20% of marketing activities are getting me to 80% of clients? So I like to know, is this person coming in through a referral or what's going on? And people are generally very helpful in that regard. They, they're more than happy to tell you, I found you through a Google search or I found you on LinkedIn. I listened to a couple episodes of your podcast and what you said really resonated with me and I knew you were the person I wanted to work with. And people are usually pretty transparent about that kind of thing. For whatever reason, Ned was not. I, he just kind of gave me the runaround and well, you know, I, I, I was messing around online. And I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> that's, not a, that's not really a super clear answer. You know, couldn't couldn't seem to remember how he found me or didn't want to disclose it, which is odd. And then as we were going through the process of trying to define what it is that he needs done and then what that would look like, what would the steps be to get from one place to another and then line out the deliverable, in listening to his situation, it, it was very clear to me what needed to happen. And that's the reason why you hire a SME. That's the reason why you work with a subject matter expert. If you have a level of work that a beginner or somebody that's maybe midway through their career can do, that's cool. There's no reason to bring a cannon to a knife fight. But if you are at that point with a project or a situation where you need to call in an expert, then it's important to get with that expert, and then leave them alone. Let them do their job. Let them show you why they have all of this expertise and they're in high demand. But you don't micromanage them and ask 100,000 questions a day. That's gonna be a turnoff to most people that have gotten to the SME level in their career. And so it was with Ned. Ned was the type that, well, I just have one more question. I just have one, and this went on and on and on. I lost count of how many one more questions that Ned had, and I thought, I've got a headache. Like, just sitting here on this intake call, I have a headache. I don't think that I could deal with this for, for like, an ongoing project. I think that I would jump off the roof. <laughs> it reminded me of how Columbo would always be like, oh, just one more thing, right before he was about to reveal some detail to uh, reveal to that person that he knew they were the murderer or the perpetrator or whatever. <laughs> but this just kept going on. There was just one more question multiple, multiple times, and I, I knew, like, this This is going to be Ned the Needy. This is not something that I want to bring into my life. There is an article on Inc.com, which I will link to in the write-up for this podcast episode, where they talk about seven types of clients who will take your patients to the brink. And I'm glad that they use the term patience, because you have to think about, when you're making these decisions, you have to think about the emotional cost. And how many episodes, have I told you guys, consider the costs. Not just the financial costs, but the physical and emotional costs too. What am I going to have to deal with if I saddle up and take a ride with this person? Am I going to have a migraine after every phone call? Am I going to be so frustrated I feel my blood pressure going up after every email? You really need to think about those things. Now, they draw out the needy one and the micromanager as two separate individuals. And I suppose in some cases they may be, but I would caution you either way. Whether we're talking about Ned the needy or uh, Michael the micromanager, <laughs> mm, I, I just have like, ugh, like I've got a knot in my stomach right now I'm even, even describing that because you <laughs> do not want, you don't want to invite people like that into your freelancing Business or your solopreneurship, they will wear you the hell out. Now I'm going to read this um, excerpt from the one uh, they call the needy, the needy one. The needy client is following up with you constantly from the time you begin working together till the time the project is done, and sometimes thereafter. She demands an update every day, even if no progress has been made, and causes your phone to ring off the hook. She wants to do a good job for her company and make sure the job is going well, so it's tough to be mad at her. I would interject that it's actually not. But her constant following up and requests for more information are interfering with your ability to actually get the job done. That's also very important to remember. Your ability to be effective and to have the most impact, more bounce to the ounce in this project, is going to depend on you being able to focus These interruptions of constant emails, text messages, phone calls, uh, bull crap, like asking you to get on um, Microsoft Teams or a Slack channel so they can ping you every five minutes. Hmm. You may be more extroverted than I am, or you may be earlier in your career and you're at a point where you feel like you have to put up with those things, but I would really caution you about it. I really and truly would. You know, it's funny because the other day I had somebody on LinkedIn who was harassing me, trying to sell me some crap. I said no, and he kept wanting to push me to get on a Zoom call, and I said, listen, fella, I deleted Zoom from my practice months ago. And I have not looked back from it. It was like a 50-pound weight came off of my shoulders the minute I got rid of it. I don't do video calls. And he was like, oh, wow, well, good luck with that. And then immediately disconnected. I thought, oh, it was like the trash took itself out. Isn't that, isn't that clever? Now, number four they describe as the micromanager. And I want to read from that section, too. The micromanager is sure he's better at your job than you are. And he's questioning every strategy you make. Yes. If you're under contract for SEO services, he's overanalyzing each of your articles and all of your strategic link building choices. If you're designing his website, he's questioning the color of every link and button and is offering suggestions of his own. Critical eyes for detail are important, but nitpicking every single choice is counterproductive. Hoorah! Because those two types of nightmare clients are so closely related. I'm just going to give you some tips and tricks that can work for either the need, Ned the needy or Mike the micromanager. Number one, a number one most important, trust your gut. When I was talking to my Ned, when he gave me the runaround about not wanting to tell me how he found me, oh, well, you know, there's just, Something in my stomach, like my stomach actually kind of hurt whenever he said that. There was just something, I don't know what, but something about it that just rang inauthentic to me. And it was like my literal gut instinct was telling me, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, you need to be careful here because something is off base. Trust your own gut instinct. You know, we have those instincts for a reason. And whether you believe it's your higher self or the Holy Spirit or something that has evolved over millennia, it's there for a reason. If your gut instinct is screaming at you, "Ooh," you need to be careful here, you would do well to heed that advice. The second tip is pay attention to what questions they ask as well as how many questions they ask during the intake process. Sometimes on the other end of the spectrum with a Teddy the tailgate negotiator, they don't hardly ask any questions at all. They just wanna zoom right through the process because they already know that when the dust settles, they're gonna do whatever the hell they want. They may or may not pay you, they may ask for a discount, They may try to hold some other part of the project hostage until you agree to give them a certain percentage off. They're kind of running their own angle. But a Ned the Needy is going to get you on the phone and ask so many questions. And they're really, really focused on your process. It's almost like they want to sacrifice the end result in favor of getting into the minutiae about your process. Well, exactly what are your methods? How are you gonna how are you gonna do this for me? How are you gonna find this for me? I honestly sit on the phone as a SME and I think to myself, like, does it matter? Does it ultimately matter to you if I'm able to produce an outstanding deliverable that's above and beyond what you even need, does it really matter what what tools that I utilized? why do you care so much? Now, I would not say, I'm not bold enough to say, you know, why do you care so much in the middle of an intake call? But there are tactful ways to get to that. Like, "Mm, I'm interested to know why you're asking me this question. What's, What's going on behind it? You can always kind of go into coach mode if you feel like it's worth it to do so. But Ned the Needy will always bombard you with questions. He will always have Uh, And questions that are often, frankly, none of his business about how the process is going to go and what you're going to be doing behind the scenes. That's another reason why those people love to get you onto Microsoft Teams or a Slack channel. They want to see how often your light is green. They want to monitor if you get up to get coffee or if you go to the bathroom. And I'm guessing that if you went into business for yourself, you decided to go online as a freelancer, you didn't want that kind of micromanagement. You probably got away from corporate America to have a break from people like that. So don't invite Ned the needy or Mike the micromanager into your practice. The third tip I will give you is count the cost, not just physically and emotionally, but also financially. Sometimes we're looking at gross. We're thinking, well, here's here's the amount of money that they're saying they will pay me. You need to look at the net especially if you're kind of on the fence about somebody, you're like, hmm, I just don't know. Uh, I'm not getting a real warm and fuzzy here. You need to look at what you're actually gonna walk away with. So if there's any transaction or processing fees, deduct that. If you're going through a third party or a freelancing site and they're gonna take a chunk of your pay, deduct that. Then figure out how much you're gonna have to deduct in taxes. Now, once you've done all the necessary deductions, look at how much you can expect to net if you work on that project for that person or that company. Sometimes that's all the incentive you need to know and understand, oof, no, now that I've taken a look at how much I'll actually net from this, I just don't think it's worth it. So, for example, if you're looking in a situation, you're like, mm, you know, I just don't know. And you're not in a financial crisis. We're not in the mode of having to do what the crisis demands because of a sudden hospital bill, uh, an emergency car repair. Something has come up where we have to just suck it up, buttercup, and do something we don't want to do. We're talking about normal, everyday circumstances. If you're on the fence about somebody and you you do your, your math and you're like, oh, by the time that the, the smoke clears on this, I would only net 500 bucks. Sometimes just something that simple will make you go, "Mm -mm, no, no, for $500 putting up with Ned the needy or Mike the micromanager is not even almost worth it. Beyond the financial ramifications, you also want to think about whether emotionally it's going to be worth it. If that person is going to be blowing your telephone up and they're going to nitpick, whatever process that you already know works well for you, they're going to nitpick or they're going to change the parameters every five minutes. You really want to consider whether or not that's something you want to deal with. The fourth and final thing I will say is consider the project or the work itself. Is it something that energizes you? Is it something that you feel good and excited about? One thing I will tell you is that typically with Ned the needy and or Mike the micromanager, those types of clients are like so restrictive. They have so many requirements and so many restrictions that you're not going to really be able, in most cases, to allow your creative juices to flow. So if we want to use a staffing and recruiting example, it could be, okay, we need you to find somebody who's dual-degreed as an MD and a PhD. We want him to live only in the state of Massachusetts. We will not consider anybody from any other state. He needs to have at least 10 years of experience, and he must have been at his current job for at least five of those 10 years. We don't want any job hoppers. But if he has any more experience than 12 years, we're not interested because we can't afford to pay what somebody 12-plus years would want. Now, you should be able to find 100 people that meet this Dr. Stephen Strange criteria for us, you know, in short order. And I'm also going to want to know every search tool that you're going to use. I'm going to want you to verify every phone number and email that you pull off your scraping software to make sure it's good. And we're going to need every detail explained out to us and everything justified, or we're not going to pay your bill, which we may not pay anyway. So good luck. (laughs) <laughs> I'm using a little bit of hyperbole in that, but the sad thing is it's really only a little hyperbole. There have been people that have emailed me or called me to try to get me to do projects like that, and I'm like, oh, no, just just no, just mm-mm, no. I value my sanity too much to even get involved in something like that. So use good judgment and always, always, always trust your gut. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if you get stuck on an intake call with someone who has 50 just one last questions, my advice would be to walk in the opposite direction. Stay safe out there, gang. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, please take a quick second to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks for tuning in.